Today on the Portside Pod, we not only try out a new intro, but we visit with new Stockton Ports manager, Rico Bronia. He had a nine-year Major League Baseball career, also plenty of experience in Major League and Minor League coaching and scouting and cybersecurity. This is a really fun conversation with a very interesting guy. Hope you enjoy this conversation with the 2021 Stockton Ports manager, Rico Bronia. During these trying times, Chase Chevrolet is still open and here to serve you. With their EasyPass service, you can shop online and have your new pre-owned vehicle delivered right to your door. Learn more at chasechevrolet.com slash EasyPass. He's the Newport skipper, Rico Bronia, and he joins us here on the Portside Pod. We are getting close to the season, just a little bit over um, two months away, February 24th, when we're recording right now. Of course, the season's slated to begin in, in early May. And uh, Skipper, it's good to good to finally meet you, and, and thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Alex. It's, uh, it's great to meet you, too, and be on with you and talk about the upcoming season, which uh, we're all very excited about. Uh, me, uh, obviously, personally, I can't wait. Psyched. Everyone in general, uh, yourself, fan, I mean, this is, uh, this is an exciting time. Kind of turn the page and look forward to a full year of baseball, pro baseball. It really started to become real too last year or last week, didn't it? I mean, when we get the schedule and now we know, okay, like we, we have a date to circle now and we, you know, we can look forward to August 18th and we know where the ports are going to be on August 18th. It's just nice to have that. Right. Yeah. And no, no doubt. It gives you solid footing. It gives you um, a chance to p- prepare plan uh, talking to season ticket holders on a couple zoom chats with the uh, ports front office and um seeing the schedule, the hard copy schedule put in front of you or, or PDF on my computer, you know, it's like, okay, there it is. Like you said, you can see a date, you can see your, your opponent, you can start planning and thinking, and it makes it, um, it, it confirms that this thing is happening, um, which we knew, but what, like you said, when we see a schedule, it just makes it concrete. And uh, that, that, that was exciting when we got the schedule, no doubt, exciting for all of us. Let me paint a picture for everyone listening right now. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Rico Bronia, new port skipper. He's got his ports hat on, his brand new, that home red ports lid. Uh, and you are in quite a room, uh, Rico. You got a, a Texas Tech jersey behind you. You got a whole bunch of clippings on the wall. Why don't you uh, tell me what's, what's behind you here and what, what, how you decided to decorate the room that you're in? Yeah, so there's there's no except for the Texas Tech jersey that Bobby Knight signed and wrote me a note on the bottom. Uh, he's a he's a big sports fan, baseball fan. All the other pictures, so you can't see. I'm in my basement, and there's a little workout room behind me, a little T set up to hit into a net. For my son used, I used to use a million years ago when I played. But the the decorations have no rhyme or reason. They're just like any magazine, any newspaper, any sports picture, any level. High school, there's pro, there's you know UConn women hoops, there's MLB, NFL, college football, just anything sports. It's not all sports too. There's some movie stuff. It's all random. It's basically just a fill up white walls in my basement with sports pictures. And so I've gotten them down the stairs in this room, wrapped around. I have a bunch of jerseys hanging on. So it's really kind of like a little man cave or sports cave, you know, of my own where I could just come down here and uh, turn the computer on. I get down here, hopefully to incentivize me to work out 
that doesn't always happen. <laughs> but at least if I'm here in the in, in the area, I can go to my treadmill and walk or something. But yeah, so I have a ton of stuff. You can see pictures, but I can see it here. Pictures. There's a lot of Tom Brady. I'm a Connecticut guy. There's a lot of Patriots. If there's anything that dominates the pictures, with a, that's probably you got more rhyme and reason to it than anything else. There's yellow sticky notes everywhere. And uh, so, yeah, that's it, really. What was your feeling on the Super Bowl this year? Oh. So, you know, I mean, you know, Patriots fan going back to Steve Grogan in the 70s. So I can honestly say that. And I got my Patriots uh, sweatshirt on here, too. But oh, there you um, go. Yeah. It's uh, I go back to when it was like, you know, lose every week or close to. And Tom Brady brought 20 years of joy to our family, myself and our family. We watched almost every game. And all of New England, all of the Patriot fans, New England Patriot fans were Tampa Bay Bucks fans. Um, that doesn't always happen with New England fans. They root against everybody else but their team. Yeah. But Tom Brady uh, is different. So obviously he's different. He's just that, you know, he's the best ever. But the way he went about his business, I, you know, it's awesome. Just awesome. I mean, he had, he's, he's not, you know, you could argue that he was as good as he's ever been, you know, just running a team and uh, the last seven or eight games leading to the Super Bowl or whatever it was, you know, they were the Patriots of 10 years ago. They were, you know, or whatever. it's like, they ran Time a very is a similar flat offense. circle. Yeah. Unbelievable. Time I mean, is a flat circle with that guy. Yeah. yeah, they beat and they beat the three teams they beat to get there, right? Uh, with the Saints, you know, and the and then finally the Chiefs. They're all like the best teams, and then they they kind of oh Green Bay all on the road. Mm-hmm. They kind of handled every game, kind of not easily, but kind of easily. They kind of handle it, n- not a problem. So his type of leadership and ability, you know, it's unparalleled. It's awesome to see as from a sports person's perspective inspiring well you're kind of coming i guess in the sense of tom brady you're kind of coming full circle because you're coming out here in northern california which is where tom brady's from so in that sense uh, so let me ask you this just in terms of geography because you're connecticut guys you mentioned Mm -hmm. where in your mind does in, in just in terms of sports fandom or maybe even saying where you're from where in your mind geographically does connecticut go from new england to more of a new york suburbish maybe mm-hmm. from Patriots to Jets or Giants or Red right. Sox to Yankees or Mets. Where, where does that happen? Yeah, Alex, I'm right in it. So I think I'm right <laughs> on that line. Cause I'm about, if I am about two hours from Boston and I'm about, I could get without traffic, of course, I could get to uh, what used to be Shea state or Yankee stadium in New York in about an hour and 15 to an hour and a half. So I'm right on the line of all of it. In my, in our town, in our area, we have, it's a equal mix and it's uh, depending on who's really good at the time, you know, because they'll, their voices will be really loud. If like the Yankees are really good, you'll say, wow, there's a lot of more Yankee or the Mets or the, like you said, the Jets, Giants, the hockey's the same around here, but That's I'm true. right in the middle of it. It's really cool. Cause it's like all of that mix and new England's unique because the fans are rough and tough. And we'll, you know, they don't hold anything back. So being in the middle of that is pretty cool. But my dad grew up, he was born and raised in the North End of Boston. So I had no choice but to be a, uh, a Celtics fan from the start, you know, or, you know, Patriots, Red Sox, all those Boston teams, Bruins. 
And uh, but not so much anymore, except for the Patriots. They were different. I even when they weren't good, I kind of kept football has that unique thing. Um, you know, the day I saw the game, Brady came in and I saw his last game as a Patriot. And watching him in Tampa was like, uh, it's just him. And he's like, yeah, I'll be back after the game. Yeah. Why not? Trying right? to test him. Is, that, is that it? You're going out? You, he said, no. Nah, yeah, I'm coming. Yeah, we're coming back. He said it just very, yeah, we'll be back. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't well, he? Could, I mean, honestly, right? Yeah, they, uh, they, they could arguably be better next year. So they could. A year under their belt. I mean, like you said, going through New Orleans, Green Bay on the road, and then, you know, being. Kansas City, the way they did too, beating Kansas City the way they oh, did man. was, right. uh, I right. mean, impressive. It was, impressive. it was extremely impressive. And I did not know, I did not know that that everyone in New England kind of rallied behind Brady in, yeah. uh, in Tampa Bay. Because, like you said, it's it in New England, it's, it's almost like an us against the world type of deal, right? Yeah, Brady's dude, 100%. This, there was no doubt that the, I mean, everyone was asking about it on TV. I watched the shows leading up to the, uh, the Super Bowl, obviously, and that that was a question that was out there. Are the Patriots fans rooting for the Tampa Bay? I'm like, it wasn't even a. They've been rooting for him since the playoffs started, and watching him, and they ran a very similar almost. They took a Patriots playbook to Tampa. So the things we watched them run on offense with Brady, the terminology, the the signals, the huddles, the tempos, everything really. They they it's basically what the Patriots and Brady did. So you could obviously. You know, he was a part of the architect or he was part of the builder of what they did. So it was familiar to the Patriots and like they're playing a Patriots game. And so it, it was very, yeah, there's not many people besides like a Tom or a Larry Bird, a Tom yeah. Brady. I mean, there's a handful of people. If they went somewhere else, you know, people would feel that way about but Brady. Yeah. Well, best ever. No doubt. I like how you both your references were New England references, by the way. I like that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's get to baseball now. Um, this is the first time back in uniform for you since when? Um, well, I was coaching with the uh, with the LA Angels in Anaheim in 2014 and 15. So I was in uniform with that team with Mike Sosha, Mike Trout, you know, Pujols um Jerry, you know weaver and and that group in 2014 had the most wins in the regular season in mlb i think of like 98 or 99 mm -hmm. so i was in uniform then and then that after that change in 2015 they put me back into scout pro scouting mlb scouting which i had done a lot of in the past also and um you know they changed the front office and with that other changes came on the coaching staff, but that was, I was in uniform. I was the information coach. I was, so I would be on the field with Sosha and the, and the team, you know, for BP and everything pregame. And during the game, I would go behind the plate. And then I, you know, had my meetings with the team and players and pitchers and catchers and hitters and coaches and Sosha. And, and uh, so that was really an amazing job. And I was in uniform pregame. Does uh does it kind of get the juices flowing to know you'll be back in uniform again here in in 2021? Oh yeah, yeah yeah. That, not nothing like being in uniform. I mean, it's the old scouts would always used to tell me when I would be scouting games behind the plate, not, not you know with just scouting, not in uniform for other teams with Diamondbacks and such. When I was with Tampa and Colorado, they would be like, "Man, you just you know you got to coach or manage. You just got to get you know." There's nothing like being on the field, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah okay, but." Being a scout's cool because I can make up my own schedule, but there's really, 
the no feeling, emotions, um, getting excited, nervous, happy, sad, all the emotions of being in a game, preparing for a game every night. You know, you got to be in uniform to have those emotions flowing. So, yeah, I can't, I can't wait. I loved, I managed in Mobile in the Southern League in 2000, well, it's 11 or 12, I think, and uh, loved it. So that was double A and, uh, yep, so I can't wait to be back in uniform and, and serve as the manager for our team. You had a, a nine-year big league career. Um, when, you know, at, at what point did you feel like, Skipper, did you feel like that this was something you wanted to do, that you wanted to stay in the game, which I know a lot of people do, but you wanted to stay in the game and, and get into this, the, the player development, scouting, uh, coaching world? Yeah, I didn't know when I finished playing in 2001, my last season with the Atlanta Braves as a player, I didn't really know what I was going to do after that, except go back to school and try to get my degree, which uh, I did. And almost immediately, though, within a year or two, I talked with um, Jerry DePoto, who was a teammate of mine with the New York Mets, who had also retired at the same time as me from playing. Uh, and he was with the Colorado Rockies and got into scouting. So long story short, he started talking to me about as long as I played before that, I really didn't know what a pro scout did. It was mm -hmm. out. It was off our radar as players. You know, we really didn't, we knew there were scouts, but we didn't know. I didn't know really much about what they did uh, except maybe advanced scout for our team uh, that I was playing on. So, um, but that uh, into, unto itself was a different type of scouting. So I didn't really know, got into it. I don't know, 2003 and four, and I played in 2001, and I was hooked immediately. You know, being back in the game it didn't take me long to realize that I just love baseball, and I'm, a, I'm probably a baseball lifer. Even though, you know, if you do a quick Google search or something, you know, coach baseball, I coach high school basketball, college football, and all those things. Being a pro scout allowed me my schedule to do some of those other things. So it was like totally the best thing besides managing and being in uniform. So um, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, some friends in the game that I stayed in touch with that would uh, give me a chance to keep being in, uh, in pro baseball, MLB. In my so it's, right, no, it's, it sounds like they're kind of, you know, I, I guess that's, that's what you lose though. Cause I, I, I agree with that sentiment. Like, you know, you're talking about the, you, when you're scouting, you know, you're in baseball, but, for certain people, it's like you don't have that competitive edge, right? You you want to have a dog in the fight. You want to go through all those right. emotions. And I guess being on the field or being in the role you were with with the Angels, uh, which to to draw a parallel to those of you who are listening right now with the A's or who are A's fans, much like Mark Kotze, uh, right? A very similar role to, to the role that Mark Kotze right. played, I guess, the last few years with the A's organization. Yep, that's right. That's uh, he was information. You know, it's, it's called different things by different teams: quality control coach, information coach, uh, statistical analysis, uh, analytics. You know, all those things that uh, you would, um, you know, research. The best way to describe it, from the way I I was doing it with the Angels and Mike Sosha wanted us in their front office at the time wanted to me to be that uh, bridge kind of a connector, uh, liaison, if that's maybe even a better word, to between the front office, you know, the computer, the analysts, statistical analysis, uh, 
you know, they would do, they would coders, programmers, get information. And I would be the person that could bring it to different people and different coaches and players and man, our manager, Mike Sosha. And part of my, a major part of my job being an ex-player like Kat was, uh, Mark Kotze with the, with, has been with the A's, is that you kind of get in the door, you get respect from the players right away. They know your past history as a former player. So it gives you um, an opportunity to get in the door and for them to have a little bit of uh, faith in who you are and what you do, what you bring to the table. And, but after that, once you're in the door, you have to prove to them that you can help them individually and as a team. But there's no doubt, like Cot, maybe myself when I was with the Angels, that that is an initial positive for the players and managers. They, the first thing they'll say is, yeah, you know, you played, Reek. You can't take these five things to the plate. Right. Yeah, you know, you played. You know, that's kind of that, a conversation might be, might be like, you know, dude, you know, you know how to, you know what you need to do to get ready for a game. You know, that kind of that talk. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get that. I got to go to the plate. I'm going to be nervous thinking about a game plan, all the emotions of having a big at bat. So your, your mind needs to be clear, free, and the preparation needs to be simplified. And as the bridge person, liaison, my job was to simplify information maybe and give a golden ticket or nugget to, but not really much more than one piece of information at a time. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's paralysis, paralysis by analysis to overthink things. So uh, that's what players like is just this, just they want to play fast. Anything right. that slows them down and from their mind is too much information. It, it's I, obviously as a former player. That's, you know, what they, excuse me, that's what they. Yep. No, no worries. I, I'm, I'm here yeah. to listen to you talk. Uh, oh, so so <laughs> please do not uh, don't worry about interrupting me. People want to hear. <laughs> from the skipper. There's no doubt about that. So it, it is no secret though, that analytics have, uh, you know, made their way into the dugout. Right. I mean, there, right. no secret about that. The Rays of course are famous for this as well, which brings me, you know, to, I, I guess, just think, just hearing you explain that, what was your perspective watching the world series when Blake Snell was pulled in uh, was it the sixth or seventh inning? I mean, what was your perspective yeah, uh, there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first thing I thought is, wow, he's rolling. That's a tough move to me. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, it's, it's really hard to, uh, you know, know. I don't know what the preparation. Obviously, I can, I can make a guess that this is a time and place that they felt for that game. They had a game prep, uh, game plan. And it's those game plans are thoroughly, obviously, thought out, not just regular season, but a World Series. So it takes – a lot of conviction in what you do and your and, and how you do it that brought you to that point in the World Series and how you do it and prepare and analyze it takes a lot of conviction to keep following through with it, which is a positive, a good thing because players want consistency. Ultimately, they want you to be that they know how you're they want to be able to think ahead with the manager uh, before things happen uh, that helps them prepare for their role each night. So that consistency, even for that game, that's something that the players knew, understand. It wasn't like a, whoa, the only part of that, that night must, might've been that his, his stuff was dynamic. You know, he make, he's not giving up anything. And uh, that, that is not, that's how they got there though. So, I mean, I really can't, I don't know what, yeah. their obviously I can guess what their preparation was. They didn't want him. They wanted to pull, you know, at yeah. that point. So uh, that's, 
from their solid analysis that maybe they wanted to go to certain people in the pen for matchups and they have pitch counts and the third time through the order and they wanted to, you know, all that stuff thinking ahead. But um, yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I still think this is, I don't want to, I really don't want to, Chris, I don't know what went into no, of the course not. thinking, but uh, it, it brings up a good general overall point of, of statistical analysis, gut feel, you know, stats versus uh, maybe more or less analytical stuff and just kind of your eyes, if you will, that my perspective in this whole thing is just try to bring as much information from as diff many different places that will help you, you know, um, put it together, put the game plans together. It could be stats. It could be gut feel with this guy. We're going to see if his stuff is good in the fifth. You know, if his stuff's moderate or, you know, we can tell. Hitters will tell you that the, hit, the pitcher's dominating them. They'll just let, they'll look at their swings. They don't really have any comfortable at-bats. At so hitters will tell you, they'll give you a lot of the answers you might be looking for. But uh, at the same time, you want to take some statistical analysis. It's, it's got to be a blend. Yes. I'm really getting long-winded here. Sorry, I'm getting but too, too much information. Speaking of too much information, I'm talking <laughs> a lot about different things. But really, you want a blend of things. You got a table in front of you. You're putting a puzzle together. The puzzle pieces are all scattered, and you just start putting the pieces together. That's kind of how I look at it. And the pieces could come from gut, eyes, stats, history, career, matchups, stadium, weather, uh, you know, whatever the puzzle pieces uh, represent, but you got to bring it together. Don't just, don't just, you know, allow everything to be part of the soup though, or the puzzle. Don't, I, you know, don't block things just because of a personal bias. That's where things could get a little bit, you know, use whatever's going to help you win. I mean, really you, you're going to play a game. Do we want to win or lose? We're playing to win. Let's try to use every, anything we can to help us win. Um, so yeah, that's a long-winded way of saying it, but no, that makes total sense, right? I mean, you don't want to predetermine what what you're going to do when you go into a game. You certainly have your plan, like you mentioned, uh, but yeah, it's, it seems it seems just like you said, like the 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 best practice would be to kind of walk a line in between those two, I suppose. You know, use yeah. your your gut as a baseball person, like you said. You can, the hitters will tell you, you know, yeah. how dominant that guy is on that day. Um, yeah, and then, but yeah, you also yeah. have the analytics side and it's, I, yeah. I would imagine it would be, it, it would take some, some getting used to walking the yeah. line between those two, I would imagine. Yeah. There's no doubt experience helps in this regard. I think uh, you bring up some good points, Alex. I remember when I was with the Diamondbacks way back, we had a young Micah Owens, Owens with, uh, as a starting pitcher, but he was also a very good athlete and he could hit. So, but his third time through the order statistically, so this is way back in, I don't know if it's the 2009s, 10s, 11s, you know, 12s, so a while back, but in the National League, which we were at the time, we being the Dimebacks at the time, he might, you might not need to pinch hit for him, but you might want to take him out, but then you might want to leave him in. There was that whole element of, yeah. so we dove deep into the stats with him. This is kind of bef before other teams might've been even doing it. Um, and, and how to use him. And we brought it to the, you know, the, the pitching coaches and the managers at the time at the big leagues. And I remember thinking, um, 
okay, we got to, what are the pros and cons? What are the strengths and weaknesses of the player? And then consider the matchups. So the whole argument was, do I go off of my strengths or say Mike at the time, our, our pitcher strengths that will help our team win? Or do I go off of the opponent's weakness and, and how do I attack? Will our guy attack their weaknesses? So that's kind of game theory that gets a little deep, but not really. It's like, okay, when in doubt, go to my strengths. You'll hear a lot of people talk about, but why not when in doubt, go to the player's weak, the, your opponent's weakness. Yeah. So that that's the conversation that gets will get heated, not heated in a bad way, but we'll have some great discussions in a coach's room, in a, in a coach's locker room. Our st strength versus their weakness or their strength versus my weakness. So it's pure game theory, really. That's the math. And, but that, that you can bring to the field, right? He, I got a sinker baller who's done. He's finished. He's really tired. His pitch limits, his innings. But the guy coming up has trouble with sinkers down and in. And we have a really good defense on the left side of the infield. Okay. And there's a runner on first and we need to get out of the inning first and third, maybe. So we got to get a, a double play, but he's spent. And if he gives up a hit here, I'm going to get fired because I'm supposed to take him out two hitters ago, but he throws a good sinker. So we need to make sure the catcher and the game plan has to be that he is in this situation. There can't be a slider thrown. Because that'll be the ball that gets hit to the outfield for a, for a base hit, for a knock. Right. You've got to fire. You know, the game plan there needs to be, okay, if we leave you out there for this, it's got to be sinker, 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 sinker. Because then, you know, you'll see him, oh, I got to mix in a slider. Oh, the slider gets hit. And, you know, the reason we left you out there was for the two ball on the ground. Uh, so that, get, that, that gets, uh, that's really fun. <laughs> As you can tell, I love that stuff. That, that, and that's, that brings me right to my, you know how to segue. Uh, Skip, uh, that, that brings me right Accidental. to my, so you're, you're, you're the perfect person to talk to, talk to about this stuff uh, because of your background, which is, which I find fascinating. I mean, I, I, just doing a little bit of reading on you. I know you've got, like you said, you're, you're fascinated by what you just talked about. Also technology. Um, mm -hmm. So much so that you went back to school in the middle of your coaching career, right? You went to get your master's degree in, in cybersecurity from Embry-Riddle University. Mm -hmm. uh that that is am i wrong in saying that's unique for you know a minor <laughs> league nuts. or yeah well, so what what led to that decision i mean what and and you know as you move forward mm -hmm. how has it made you better in your profession yeah thank you i appreciate bringing it up it's uh something i'm you know that's i'm, I'm pretty proud of and pretty it took a lot of <laughs> you know a lot of hard work different kind of hard work that, uh, than i was used to it goes back to a couple of things. One, probably my dad is, was an, is an educator, was, you know, was an educator in, in private prep school in one of those uh, really good academic. He came from Bowdoin College, uh, you know, he was mm -hmm. a top student, then a teacher for over 40 years himself. He taught Latin and Greek in classics for you know, 35, 40 years in prep schools. So wow. my academic thing goes back to him. And then, uh, so I always kind of wanted to get a degree and maybe a master's. The, bat, the computer stuff went back to w with my time with the angels when I realized that that this is this this is a really blossoming industry. It's it's just fascinating, and that really opened my eyes and, and wanted you know I wanted to learn more about it basically. So yeah, and that was and it's a great school. Embry Riddle's a you know aeronautical and engineering school. So there were 
a lot of different computer engineering, science stuff, classes, cybersecurity to, to get in on. And I went for it and I, you know, here I am writing 30, 40 page papers, 10,000 words, seven, you know, citations for everything. And I just keep, you know, going, what am I doing? I'm in, <laughs> I'm in baseball and I'm writing papers. So, but I finished, I, I, and I was grinding it out that last year, writing a thesis and uh, paper and everything. And, and just kind of, yeah, I, can't, I look back going, I was, I must've been nuts, but it, it definitely was fun. I learned a lot. No doubt. I mean, I, I'm sure I, th I, I can imagine you did. I mean, a master's in cybersecurity, I, I wouldn't know where to start, you know, but how, how is that, how has that made you a more well-rounded baseball person? Well, it, it taught the main thing I think, I took away from it from a baseball perspective and maybe anything perspective actually is how to do research, how to try to ask the right questions. Cause if you can ask the right questions, you might, I could ask any question, but it's probably not, it may not be the right question. So I got to learn how to focus on finding the right question or questions, plural, uh, that will direct me to the, to, to do uh, the proper re research, where to go for research, what to look up. Cause you know, you got this whole world and I can't be all things to all people. I'm trying to focus in on a subject, a topic, you know, whether it's international law and cybersecurity, or it's just the kind of the nuts and bolts of coding and computer security and CISA, or uh, it's the NSA, maybe it's some SIGINT, signals intelligence, how all that stuff works. So I could look into the whole universe of computer science, or I can learn how to write uh, research correctly by asking the right question. That's very relevant for baseball. We would talk about what information do I use to really narrow my focus? And that's what I believe I learned how to do there, how to properly research things. What was, I mean, did you have some trepidation, uh, you know, leaving oh. baseball for a couple years? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I did. I uh, didn't at first. I was doing both at first that it turned out to be too much yeah. When I turned the corner into my last year at school for my master's, and I, that was the one year I took a sabbatical away from baseball, if you will, to get to finish my degree because it was really big. The workload was, and I wanted at that point to really try to do well. You know, I mean, I, I wanted to do well the whole time, but I was running toward a 4 0. And I just, that, wow. that gave, yeah, that gave me a, uh, or I was not there yet, but I was close. And I just kind of, okay, I've worked hard. For, I want to really get after this and get it. And, um competing almost like a like an athlete would and and uh i was really humbled though it was not easy to get back into baseball after that and um so i'm very thankful for the a's hiring me in in many different ways because it, it was not okay just make a couple calls i've been in baseball my whole life no problem it was not not anything like that especially with the industry more uh, uh it was shrinking a little bit across the mm -hmm. board Mm -hmm. downsizing might be a more proper yep. word so with that taking place so the a's i i genuinely talk about their loyalty their family like history and with their people and personnel and their fans i totally felt that right away uh and, and to this day still do yeah so i'm uh, very thankful with oakland so so how did that come about i mean you got hired i think you told me january of 2020 and uh, boy, I, I, we were talking about it before we, we hit record, you and I in the same boat, man. We were, we were ready, to, ready to go for the 2020 season, first year in a new place, and uh, we don't get a season, which is 
why we're thankful for 2021, of course. But um, so how did it come about with the A's and, and your process of, of finding the A's and why they're a good fit for you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, I mean, thank, thankfully, uh, I had a couple people I knew, um, but I wasn't overly familiar with a lot of the personnel in Oakland in Oakland's system. Uh, I knew a lot. I knew other people better in other places, but uh, I did at the time I saw that Ed Sprague was hired as a, you know, promoted to uh, player development director, farm director. And I had played for a short while with uh, Ed in Boston. I knew we knew each other as a kind of coming up in the minor leagues. And then I was with the D Detroit Tigers. He was with the uh, Blue Jays. And then I was at the Phillies. He was with the Blue Jays. So we had some you know, playing against each other kind of thing. So that was the first thing I reached out to him, just said, congratulations. But that was it really. And I just a uh, little back and forth and uh, certainly mentioned um, really want to get back in the game, having a tough time doing it. And, um, but they had other options. So, it, you know, obviously it took a couple months of talking back and forth and everything and interviewing and, and, and uh, all that type of stuff. And, uh, but it worked out, you know, it worked out that they had one position open and it was going to be uh, in player development and uh, the extra coach in Vermont, which was short season rookie ball in the New York Penn League, uh, which unfortunately no longer exists. Uh, but one of the teams that was, you know, downsizing. But uh, they, so I'm like, yeah, I just thought anything I, coaching is great. Teaching, coaching, especially young players who have a, who have a lot to learn. And that's where it started. But I uh, can't say enough good things. And, you know, I'm so thankful because there were a lot of other people in teams that I knew very, very well. And they're just sorry, nothing, sorry, nothing. And, and not their fault. They're being honest. It's true. You know, mm -hmm. they didn't have spots. If anything, they were eliminating spots in their, in their yeah. organization. So. There was one spot with the A's and um, yeah. So I think actually some of the computer stuff they found intriguing that I was a little bit on the cutting edge, if you will, or I was maybe better said, I was more curious in the curiosity that I guess my curiosity, which it totally was curious about how this stuff worked at a deeper level might've piqued their interest a little bit, or I think, you know, I'm not sure it's more of a guess on my part, but do you, do you think that's part of what makes, I mean, obviously, you know, it is from their perspective, from the A's perspective, because they hired you. Uh, yeah. But from your perspective, do you think that's kind of what makes you and the A's a good fit? I think so. It, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I, I think the A's have uh, obviously shown what, that they're, uh, they're uh, willing to have conviction in, in different types of uh, how they analyze and value players and team building and trying to look for things that other teams may not value at that time, take advantage of it, use it to help their payroll, but also at the same time, build the team. And uh, it's, you know, look at the team we have now in the big leagues. It's, a, it's young guys with talent, put together a veteran bullpen with a young starting staff, knowing the bullpen, how important it is nowadays. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 I was always in, intrigued by how the A's design things why more so uh, about why and how they did it. I, that, I was just a curious, I'm a curious person with engineering type of, uh, you know, why asking why, how's that made? How do you build it? How do you do it? Why do you do it? And I think that is something that is, there was a common, common denominator there. I do think that might've been part of the part of it. Yeah. 
It's also interesting. So, so what did, what did, uh, 20, what did you do in 2020? I mean, during the summer, you know, I mean, obviously none of us had anything to do. So how, how did yeah. Rico Bronio spend his time? Well, that's a good question. I love to read. So here I am reading all just, you know, I have too many books now I collected over the summer because I we had so much free time. I put on too much weight and I'm trying to work, walk it off now, you know, <laughs> sitting around reading all day and all night, but I love to read. Uh, it's totally, I usually have a book in my hand at all times. That's what I do all the time did more so than ever though this past year however i they were really good in connecticut about being letting the the uh my son is a baseball player he's well he's 18 now but at the time he was 17 and they had summer leagues going and they were playing four or five games a week two practices a week almost not every day but close and it was a full team they travel around connecticut and all during the COVID, everything you know with but they played a full season, a full summer. Wow. I don't know if it was 30 games or 35 or, you know, with practices. So I got to be a fan and watch him play. I tried not to, you know, tell him what he's doing right or wrong. I tried to, you know, <laughs> make sure I didn't talk just yay, rah, rah, you know, and that wasn't always easy, but he really was very fortunate. He loved doing it. And so that was, that took a lot of time, you know, cause there was travel and stuff like that, but thank goodness. They, they were able to do it and no one got, there was no, you know, there weren't any problems with COVID or anything. So Connecticut uh, wow. overall has been one of those states that even though we were close to New York uh, had relatively. So I, that's what I did really is I just read <laughs> and, uh, you know, ate too much pasta and meatballs. And, um, but I did get to watch my wife and I, Melissa, we got to watch our son. My daughter's away. She rides horses and she's a senior at UNC at Chapel Hill. So she wasn't always home, but she rides competitively equestrian. So she was doing that. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. that's always been an interesting sport to me. Oh, she's courageous. I mean, just being on top of a big, you know, riding it, you know, jumping cross country and all the, you know, the three different, they, yeah. she's been flung off that. I mean, you know, I just am so, she competes with a USA team that travels and uh, I don't know if it's still one of her goals, but you know, she's, she's always had the Olympics in mind, but she's leaning toward teaching now going, going to take a fifth year at Chapel Hill to teach. So, um, but she's an inspiration. Yeah. She's, she's really, she's got my wife's stick to <laughs> and just relentless pursuit of getting it, doing it because She's got gold, you know, she's got blue ribbons, white you know, ribbons and, and awards. That uh, must have been such a great way for you to spend 2020 to, to, to watch your, your son play. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm so happy they let him do it, because if we if they didn't, you know, if they didn't have that, I mean, they had that almost from the end of May or from May into ooh, May, almost into October here. So or definitely into the early fall. And then they started some winter fall leagues, too. So. That thing went for a long time. They did it not every day, but close. Totally amazing that they had that. And it was, it wasn't just games, it was practice. So it was like, he, he played a lot of baseball, Hunter did, my son. And it totally brought, got us out of the house, you know, into a, yeah, that, thank goodness. That was a really good thing. And, and they let him do it. And again, there was no, uh, there weren't, you know, umpire, they had umpires, there were no problems. There was no quarantine for two weeks. Oops, you know, they just played it, just played it out straight through. Wow. Which is pretty cool. Okay, 
So May 11th, first home game um, at Banner Island Ballpark. Have you been to Stockton yet? I would assume uh, not. As a, as a scout, I've been scout, through okay. some of the, the what's not known as a colleague anymore. But yeah, I've done some scouting up there and I was with the Diamondbacks. So we had, we being the Diamondbacks back then and had, there was Visalia, I believe. It was a Diamondback Still is, yeah. affiliate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but not really. I haven't spent a lot of, le- not a time in the California League because it's so far away from my house. Right. So well, you've been to Banner Island been, Ballpark, which is. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We have a great spot. We have a great yeah. spot. A great no stadium. Doubt. Yep. Excellent league. Very lucky. Very lucky. It's the perfect time to purchase a new car today at Chase Chevrolet. Take advantage now of model year-end inventory reduction prices and supplier pricing on select 2019 vehicles. You can always count on Chase Chevrolet for the best prices, best service, and easiest car buying experience. And now, back to our episode. What what should Ports fans know about Rico Bronia as a manager? Well, that my focus and... uh intent all the time and everything I do every day is to serve just to try to, I understand in pro baseball, it's such a competitive business and sport. Each player wants to be a big league baseball player and each player wants to know how and what they need, what they need to get there, how they, how they can get there. That's what coaches and managers uh, feel like their prime job is is to serve and help each player find what it, what they need and how they need to do it and practice and train to make it better so they can get there. Because really that's what they want to know. A player wants to know, how, how can you help me? Because their goal is so, they're so focused properly so, uh, you know, rightfully so, on trying to compete at the highest level to get there. And then not to get there, but to stay there. And uh, that that's a service. That's a job of service. So I, I try to serve, to put, and help them develop. Part of developing is trying to win games. You have to be a, to learn how to be a winning player because ultimately when you get there, as you move up, yeah. especially the major leagues, that's the bottom line. Did you win the game or lose the game? And we have that also too, obviously, with the ports and Stockton and our league. That matters for us too. Uh, teaching them the importance of being a winning player, a winning team, how to win. At least how to go about the process of winning you may not always win the game but we got to go think about things the right right way because up there i mean that's people don't keep their jobs yeah even at our like really it's a pro it's such a competitive industry but uh player development teaching coaching serving and uh bringing structure and organization to our daily plan i really believe in that we have to develop especially young players the ones like what we'll have they have to learn we as individually and collectively how to develop a daily routine, game plans. And that that, that, simp, that structure may sound simple, but the quicker you can teach and learn and repeat a, a good training routine regimen every day, uh, that's like the f- first major step in, in player development so they can advance and not just be, okay, what do I do today? From the time they know they wake up, almost have to be obsessed about it. Do you think, do you think that, because I think you bring up a good point. Do you think that in some places, in some ways, the ability to win, because I, I really believe that's kind of, that's almost a skill set um, yeah. is, you know, building a, 
uh, mentality, if you will, to win. Do you think that gets overlooked sometimes in player development in, in Major League Baseball? I think different teams. I've been with a few that have, there's different. There's a different uh, level of importance or focus put on that aspect of player development, and ultimately, we're developing players, keeping in mind that we want to elevate each player's value as a player, which in turn helps them. And then that helps the organization, whether they get to, to Oakland or are maybe traded or picked up, you know, getting a player in a value in return. However, they, you know, that they decide to do it. We want to be able to maximize our player's strengths so that they can become better and have more value for our front office and coaches up the ladder as they move toward the big leagues. So different teams, have put different a different amount of emphasis on winning in the in the the the, the bullet list of what's important for a prospect or young minor league players, right? If I'm saying that right, I think I've always been a firm believer is we're learning how to be a winning player. So I got to learn as a player how to be reliable, which is very difficult in baseball. You play every day. How can I become a reliable, consistent? winning baseball player that when they put me in, they know they're going to get this. That sounds easy. That is the hardest thing to accomplish as a professional baseball player. Cause it's such a hard sport to play. You touched earlier on, on some of the changes to the minor leagues. I think there's some good, some bad. Um, obviously, you know, the fact that there's not as many jobs available, that's one of them, you know, I mean, mm -hmm so on and so forth. Yeah, Major League Baseball has done some things with the Pioneer League, and I think it's the Appalachian League. New York Penn League is another one you mentioned yep. uh, to, to fill some of the holes there. But one of the changes that we were talking about beforehand is, is the change in schedule and the fact that there will be an off day every single Monday during the regular season now. How much do you think that helps player development, the fact that these guys are going to get a blow you know, once every seven days? Well, I did. They're going to really enjoy that. <laughs> they're going to really enjoy that. Yeah, yeah there's no doubt. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, we didn't get a lot of rain. We won't get a lot of rainouts in, in the Cal League. You know, it's uh, but I've been in leagues or, you know, the, the low A West, you know, and now low A West. Yeah, we can uh, still yeah. call it the Cal League. It's fine. Cal League. Yeah. But when we were uh, when, when I was managing in Mobile, Alabama, rain might have been a daily thing. It's just a matter of you're going to get it at three o'clock in the afternoon or game time. Yeah. And then you're going to have to wait. So it was really part of, there was development in that player because you had to learn as a player how to adjust to the weather. But, but all that aside, you, you know, in, in the middle of the season, players are, were rooting for rainouts to have a day off. Yeah. Just to rest, not to go do anything, to just watch movies, sit on the couch, rest their arm, rest their body. So this new generation of young players and then throughout i think for the foreseeable future they're going to become used to the day off and that is a good thing that's a good thing there's a little bit of a model if you you know i've scouted a little bit with the, in the in japan where they do similar or even winter ball and then you might see six man rotations uh or five and then maybe piggyback a couple other starts for starting pitchers it's just different ways to do it this is going to be a welcomed, I think, uh, to help for travel, you know, to help for, uh, in a lot of different ways. 
no doubt. It, just that continuity of, you know, not knowing when, if you're gonna have an off day for 39 days, cause you might not get rain in a row is just like, okay, you know, you do it because you gotta do it. I mean, you just kind of do yeah. it. But at the same time, you know, day three weeks in, you're starting to go, look at the weather, you know, your weather app <laughs> going, okay, when are we gonna get a lot of rain? We need to rain out here. So having Monday off will keep guys fresh. And, and you mentioned the travel. I mean, the six-game series will help with that as well. I mean, you, you go on a 12-game road trip. You're not splitting it between three cities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, this, is a, this is a very um, uh, friendly, inviting player travel. That anyone who travels or is with the team, coaches, manager, players, training staff, every video, everybody, yourself. Uh, you know, broadcaster, uh, yeah. Broadcaster. <laughs> the, the whole traveling to our whole team. This is going to be a welcome, I think, uh, you know, we have uh, great travel or, you know, less shorter distances when I say great, quote unquote, great travel in our league and from Stockton, but mm -hmm. uh, also having that off day built in, being in a place for six days, usually, you know, you're three on the day three, you might be looking forward to an eight to 12 hour bus ride, get in at four in the morning. Do we even have BP? Do we cancel? We I mean, you know, part of that is learning how to do that. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. But if you don't have to do that, <laughs> like we're not going to have to do that uh, going forward, uh, then I'm, I'm 50. So I'm, yeah, I need that off day and less travel. Things are right by me. <laughs> totally. I'm 34. Skipper, I need the off day too. You're young. <laughs> uh, it's just you go to say, like, listen, I mean, you know, 30 games in 30 days, that's, that's a tall task. Oh. I remember days in the Florida State League as a player, you know, a million years ago where we had rain every day. So every day we thought we might get the day off and then we'd go on a stretch for two months or you know, I might be exaggerating slightly, but not by much. So every day you thought it might be rained out and you never got rained out because if you got rained out once and it rained every day, you're never going to play. So we played games until one o'clock in the morning. Wow. They didn't, you know, or multiple rain delays every night and uh then you but you play for two months straight you know and, and or more it just seemed it felt like 50 games in a row and uh again i'm exaggerating slightly but not by much you know there were that, that was how it was because you could get rained out any day if you wanted to there which i think they eventually used because if i run out of pitching that decided if, if we didn't have a good you know a starter for that night okay we're rained out tonight because you could use it every day that that type of grind man i lost weight didn't know how to eat yet i was 19 you know away from home for the first time was not a good eater was not a good rester sleeper didn't know my game preparation or routine so that is an a-ball league and now i'm managing it i could take that experience all those things our schedule is different now which totally we're talking about which totally helps but at the same time I could take my learn, you know, my experiences. Um, hopefully, it helps. Some of it helps some some of our players. At least they can say, okay, I don't want to do what Rico did, you know, or I, some <laughs> of what he did. You know, just take it in, trash some of it, use some of it. However, it can be of assistance to a player. Here's how I want to uh, to wind this down. I hit you with some rapid fire, then we'll um, then we'll then we'll finish things up. So. Uh, for you, you were just talking about bus rides. Can you remember your longest minor league bus ride and from which cities it was to and from? 
I think, yes. Uh, playing in the Eastern League, which would have been 1990. Yep, 1990, the year after I was just talking about in the Florida State League. We, we being the Tigers, I was with the Tigers back then. Our double-A team was in London, Ontario, in Canada. Oh, my gosh. Just north, So just north yeah. of Detroit, I was with the Tigers. So if you kind of go an hour and a half north of D Detroit into Canada, the rest of the Eastern League was in Connecticut, New York, uh, Maryland, you know, uh, Pennsylvania, oh. like Harrisburg. Yeah. And so we were the outlier. And uh, in, in Akron, Ohio, was that was our closest ride, six hours, five and a half hours south from Jeez. London, Ontario. So that was it right there. That's, I mean, because that our closest ride was six hours. And we were thrilled because we knew that would only be three movies. You know, three movies and you're there. Two, you're two and a half movies. Every other trip was like eight, 10, 12, 14, you know, going to Bowie, Maryland from London, Ontario, Canada. You got to go through, we had to go through, we again, the Tigers back then in the day. So 1990, had to go through customs every yeah. trip, both oh. ways. So, so you were the were only times, Canadian team? Yeah, in the league. Oh, we were the only team. Yeah, oh. we were way out there, north of Toledo, Ohio, north of Detroit. We were the only team in Canada. And it was the Eastern League. So there was a team in, in New Britain, Connecticut, not far from where I live now. And, uh, you know, Albany, New York, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, so et cetera. So uh, by far, we, I remember just, uh, we, we hit that, go to the Buffalo, travel through Buffalo, go all west, and then go up, you know, eight, 10 out or longer. And we hit customs and the sun would be coming up. And just praying they didn't go through our luggage because we're, you know, we just had, they got to know us after a while, but you might run into a two hour stop or maybe, you know, two, 20 minutes. Cause and we were just praying, just let us go. I mean, we won the championship that year in the Eastern league and we still had the, we played new Britain in the finals, Jeff Bagwell team uh, back way back with the new Britain Red Sox back in the day. And we made that. So in three days, I think we swept. It was a three out of five, and we swept the we swept three games, I believe, and uh, two in New Britain and one at home. There are no off days, and we bust them. We wow. came back for that third game to clinch that night from New Britain, and we arrived at about ten or eleven the next morning from playing the night before in New Britain, Connecticut. As we get to the stadium to drop off our equipment for a seven o'clock game that night. The line was wrapped around the street and over the bridge into what a beautiful city London, Ontario was. And the stadium was awesome. But we did, we pulled in at 10 or 11 and they were selling tickets for the night for that night's championship game, which was a sellout. And we did win, but we pulled in at 10 in the morning. The, our bus wow. was coming in from New Britain, you know, and we're, but you just used adrenaline. You, you drank a lot of coffee, <laughs> you know, and, and you just, uh, you held on. You guys were used to that trip. The, the New Britain Red Sox were not used to that trip. Right. Oh, you know, there you go. There's a home field home advantage. Home field advantage. Totally. Yeah, All right. Pre, uh, pre, pre or post-game meal. What's your favorite? Any kind if of- If you have uh, one. Some, some yeah, people have one. Yeah, no, any kind of, uh, I like to eat some protein mixed in early in the day and even after. But if it had- I could eat pasta and, you know, I'm Italian and lasagna, 
pasta with tomato red sauce or chicken parmesan with pasta, veal parmesan, meatballs and spaghetti. Meatballs and spaghetti. I mean, how can you go wrong? A you good can't salad. Go yeah, a little meatballs. There's your protein, spaghetti, tomato sauce, fresh tomatoes, and a good salad. That was always good at about one o'clock in the afternoon and just eat a lot, you know, kind of get filled up on that and then you, have some small, small meals before a game. Were you a pregame nap guy? No, I wasn't. I got, I tried to, uh, I slept in, I still sleep in. I just carried it over <laughs> from back then. Yeah. I stay up it's late. the body clock, right? That's the baseball yeah, totally. schedule. Yeah, yeah. I'm 50. So I'm way out of, I mean, I've been doing coaching and scouting, so I'm used to it still, but I stay up late at night still. And if I can sleep in, 9, 10, 11, I'll just, I'll let it, I'll let her, you know, that's one thing I, I learned with this COVID thing is I can sleep, you know, it's, uh, no one's really, no alarm to wake me up. I don't need one, but no, I like to get amped as I go toward the game. Absolutely. And then uh, after the game post, just not something too, too heavy before going to bed for the meal. Um. How about a how about a day or night game? I'm assuming based on your sleeping schedule that you're probably yeah. a night game guy. Yeah, oh yeah. Night game all the way. All the way. When I came up with the New York Mets in 1994. Four, yeah, I think it was. Um, some of our night home games in New York at Shea Stadium started at like 810 or 835, uh, you know, Eastern time. That's just when the TV, the big market New York TV radio yep. was, was going on. Uh, it's not, that wasn't everywhere. That was more like New York. But, so we had 835 starts, 810, 745, a lot of 810s. That was a night game. So <laughs> that was a little bit deep. But, you know, you just play. You learn how to do it. Yeah. But I like, I like the night game. You know, the tough part about day games is that you're not playing a day game before it. Yeah. If you're playing like day games before, maybe in Chicago or something, your body, anything that disrupts your routine and rhythm, sleep and eating is just a pain for a player. Never mm -hmm. mind, uh, you know, not so much coaches, but players, the more they can keep a routine. That's why a dome team, no rain, you could start at 705 or 707. The first pitch will be thrown at that time. You'll have BP. There'll be no disruptions. A team that has a dome or good, really good reliable weather like California league, like us, you know, we have a, a great weather situation in our league yeah. in, in, the, in the Cali in Stockton helps the players routine. How about BP music? You got a preference? I, I, I kind of grew to like it. Just anything. I don't think I, I like the music just to anything at the, it, when it first started, I was old fashioned because I wanted to hear the sound off the bat. Because yeah. I'm, if I'm fielding ground balls up a fungo in between live pitches with the, the whole orchestra of a batting practice routine, it's mm -hmm. very, as you know, Alex, it's very coordinated. And if it's not coordinated, it becomes dangerous. So part of learning how to take BP is a fielder, a hitter, a thrower, uh, anything behind the screen, away from the screen, taking throws from, is hearing the contact of the bat, of the live swing. And then you'll hear a softer sound by the fungo. So don't, without getting too technical, that was what I missed right away. But then you just learn how to, okay, I got to use my eyes more. I don't have, I like Earth, Wind and Fire, Cool in the Gang. I kind of, uh, I love some certain uh, 
uh, Mercy Me and some um, Newsboys, which is more Christian contemporary music. But I totally am like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire is good stuff. EWF, yeah, Cool in the yeah. Gang. Um, country music, anything really. I, I, I like a lot of different types of music. What are you, I want, I want to end it right here. What, what are you looking forward to most about getting out to Arizona and then eventually starting the season in Stockton? To get into the baseball um, grind. And I don't mean grind in a negative way. I mean, in a positive way to get into the, start the grind, start the day to day, get that routine, routine started, get that daily procedure process schedule going. When you're, not in that process, whether it's because it's the off season, off season and COVID or anything, not any reason why you're not in that, that process. It's, it's a little foreign to a baseball person as you, you know, you, you're in the game, you know, yourself and they've done basketball in the winter too, with same areas we we're talking about. So you just know how important it is to be in that routine, that grind. And I say grind again, not in a negative way. Mm -hmm. But just to go every day, to grind it out, grind it out, and, and watch players develop, uh, which we'll see, you know, at low A, our level in Stockton, we should, that should be a terrific thing to watch for fans, where they start in May and where they finish, you know, if they're still with us in September as a player and maybe as a team, collective too. But young players and young teams have a tendency of, you know, things go well and do are done right and all that stuff to really improve by leaps and bounds because they have so much that they're learning. There's, there's so much to learn and they are learning so much coming from college and high school, international, uh, the different places that a young low A players come from. You see, just grow, develop um, leaps and bounds really come you know they so that's cool for young players but just to get into that grind you know hit fungos okay bp in 10 minutes you know and talk to you at, you know 4 15 can you you know we'll talk for five minutes of radio or and then you know go back in get a pregame coffee go over the lineup with the other coaches get yelled at by some player about why i'm not playing them tonight <laughs> <laughs> Skip, why this is the third day in a row? What's going on? You know, and just that communication, everyday grind. I love it. It's baseball. Can't wait. I cannot wait. I'm ready for May. I'm ready for May. Uh, yeah, Skip, you. thanks so much, man. I, this has been so much fun. Thanks for thanks for joining me. I hope um, awesome. you know. I hope people got to know you a little bit in this uh, about an hour. And yeah, that's uh, my fault. I get. I get no, 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 no. This love talking about baseball. I'm open ended. I'm open ended. I mean, if if you heard any of my any of our podcasts, I mean, several of them have been uh, right around this leg. So this this is great. And there's um there's certainly nobody who who should get an hour more than uh more than the skipper. And, and I know people want to know about you. So uh, I appreciate you. you taking the time. I'm really looking forward to getting the season started. Yeah, same here, Alex. Thanks you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for the opportunity. Look forward to doing it again. Can't wait to get to stock. Then, you know, May 4th, we start. May 11th, we're home. Not too far away, so totally can't wait. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. My pleasure. And maybe, maybe we'll be able to do this again before spring training. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Skip, thanks again so much. Be right, well, thanks, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right, thank you. See you soon.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me, at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, as well as at our home anchor.fm slash stockton dash ports you can also visit the ports website at stocktonports.com and follow the ports on facebook instagram twitter and other social media platforms until next time i'm alex jensen please stay safe and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the portside pod